Radio Justice Deep Don Kamathi Studios in the Harriet Tubman Center in Mid-City, Los Angeles. This is the RJLA Community News. I'm Adam Rice. I'm Angela Birdsong. And we have an excellent show for you. Sister Angie had a chance to sit down with Lene Norwood from My Black Counts. Lawrence Reyes interviews Cookie Lego from Project for Vida in Puerto Rico. First, yesterday morning, Dozens of activists descended on the mayor's mansion in the Hancock Park neighborhood of L.A. and held a die-in on his front lawn, symbolizing the 983 homeless people who died last year before the COVID hit. We had a chance to interview some people, got a chance to catch up with some old friends and some new people. We're going to talk to Theo Henderson, host of We the Unhoused, which airs right here on Radio Justice. We're here on the corner of Irving and Six in front of the mayor's public housing that we provide him with uh, Theo Henderson, uh, host uh, We the Unhoused. We are right here on Radio Justice. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And man, it's, it's good to see you, my brother. What are we doing out here in front of this fool's house? Well, first, I want to just take back up and say this. I'm a very big fan of Radio Justice. Every time I see they got something, I always try to retweet. So you have an undying fan. So I'm, I'm, it's an honor to be honest. I really wanted to tell you that you guys are doing excellent work, and I'm just really inspired. And, and one of the reasons why I like doing what we do in the house is to do to follow in some of you guys' footsteps. But right now we're here. It's called a die-in, and a die-in is to dramatize the fact that that every day of unhoused people die. And particularly with COVID-19, we have a solution here. The mayor has a tool and a resource that he has been holding back from providing for unhoused community. And that is commandeering the hotels of these well-heeled people that we gave welfare to and tax breaks and uh, write-offs and all to and housing them, which will completely uh, change the narrative about hearing where unhoused people are encamping in in their areas in your neighborhoods. They have a bathroom. They have a place to store their things. But this issue is like the the housed community, NIMBYs and places like San Dimas are holding protests and talking about not here, uh, get a home or whatever. How are you going to get a home if you keep running out and denying unhoused people human rights and housing is a human right. I mean, that's real. And while you also think about like saying demons, places like that, mm-hmm. they're not saying homeless people go home. They're saying black homeless people get out. Amen. Right on. <laughs> that's very true. And, that, and let's be clear. The most of the people that have been affected by COVID-19 has been African-Americans and uh, uh, Latino people because they are either the first responders, frontline workers, and unhoused people that has been brutalized under the auspices of this criminalized nation of unhoused people. That's basically. Well, now you're talking about the hotel rooms and the, the welfare that we're handing these corporations. Well, run a little bit of that down for us. How much of our money have these cats gotten, but they won't shelter our people? It's over 260 million and counting oh, of tax, of tax <laughs> payer money. We don't understand. We are giving them basically welfare, handouts, tax credits, write-offs. They're able to look the other way with code violations and different other things that we are paying for. And that's $260 million just to L.A. Live? At least. At least. Just to L.A. Yeah, Live. LA Live. And they're not telling these very ritzy hotels like the, uh, the Ritz-Carlton, who have these 224 residents who don't want to be around unhoused people. They're human beings just like you. They have the same health issues, the same mental crises as everybody else. So why in the world do you think that you are so elitist and so above the riffraff of unhoused people? That's, that's elitist, and that is one of the biggest problems with uh, capitalism and white supremacy, because they don't want black unhoused people there. That's what the bottom line is. 
uh, you, you lived in the park in Chinatown yes. for years, yes. but just recently, they, and this is the crazy part, they opened up a shelter and kicked you out your spot? Like, they let, break that down for people. Okay, let's be clear. Uh, prior to the, uh, I have been living prior to COVID-19 in Alpine Recreation Center in the park, and I, because the reason is I was a part of that community. I was evicted from in Chinatown by a friend when we had, uh, they had evicted me because they didn't want me living with this guy who was looking out for me and giving me a place to stay. So, as a result of that, I had stayed in the park because people know me and I knew them. And on, on uh, May, or was it April? No, April 1st, they came with over 12 uh, sanitation, two cops, uh, Lhasa, the whole spiel to eject me out of it when I was sheltering in place due to my injury on my leg. Yeah. Now, let's also examine why I don't want shelters. And I didn't want a 42, the shelters that Mayor Garcetti did. The CDC director stated very clearly it was best to let them shelter in place, not putting them in a damn shelter and where there was all type of diseases that are that could be of, besides coronavirus, yeah. and it's and it's outdated of fashion anyway. In fact, and the Union Rescue Mission, over 87 people have had coronavirus and they had to basically shut it down. Yeah. That's a primary example of why shelters do not work in the fashion of the 1800s. We have got to evolve in our thinking and the way we deal with unhoused people and how we treat unhoused people. Well, you're right. That is, that is a primary example. I mean, Union Rescue Mission, the ultimate poverty pimps, exactly, exactly. you know, and they got hit hard. And that, that, that's what the Karma shelter system is. An address. Karma never forgets an address. Oh, I always man. say that. So, you know, Andy Bales, it's very clear to note, he was up there uh, lambasting the idea of supportive housing, talk, uh, had listened, had the ear of President Trump and this Marbutt and all of them and talking about how they were going to institute federal uh, martial law against unhoused people or, 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 or force them to go to these shelters. But look what, what this is the argument we've been saying for years and Andy Bales refused to hear it and many other poverty pips that that idea about you forcing people to go to church or forcing them to do certain things in order to get a sandwich or, or those kind of things, those things are outdated and you have got to move along. You can't force people to your religious belief. And well, they're, they're not just outdated, they've been proven not to work. Exactly. You can't uh, uh, yell at people and, and force them into Christianity and think that's going to end their problem because you're, you're trying to insinuate that they are the problem, they're there to blame for their condition. Well, I mean, it, it is an old game, my brother. I mean, when they brought people over on ships, what did they do? They told them, Jesus got you in the next life. You'll be all right. There's a, something that uh, Desmond Tutu used to say. Where he says, when the white man came over, we had the land and they had the Bible. They said, let us close our eyes and pray. When we opened our eyes, we had the Bible and they had the land. So <laughs> that's real. I missed that, brother, too. <laughs> yeah. So on the real. So in, it's this, in every facet, in every permutation, it is the same thing that has been going on, on and on in different ways. Particularly with the unhoused community, we have been basically looked on as the pariah. And because it's helped by rank and file police officers, uh, well-heeled business owners, uh, very fat cats that have these big uh, expensive apartments. All you have to do is go to a business improvement district meeting and you will learn all of this yourself. You will see how they criminalize, they'll picture, put pictures of unhoused people, they'll sensationalize and say that unhoused people are just like animals waiting to just pounce on your poor little property or attack you. You call us and we'll be saved. All these kind of things that I, I have gone, I've been uh, criminalized by, uh, by the police. I have been vilified by the community. I've had, had it done all. So I know the game, I know the playbook. And it's, it doesn't change no matter what community that goes on. It's just that they have to squeak it to get the police to continue to provide pressure or whatever way to get you to get away from their community. Man, and, and you know what? Thank you for sitting down with us, man. And thank you for doing this podcast. <laughs> that, no, seriously. Like, we do a lot of podcasts over here at Radio Justice. Yeah, yeah. But... The one that you're doing stands out. That's oh, that, that's you. unique in the country, man. How do people support you? Fuck the bullshit. <laughs> you you need some money. Yeah. So how do people get to your Patreon? What's yeah. happening? Well, you know, I have I'm on YouTube. I mean, I'm on Twitter. Um, one of the ways I put my Patreon usually around there. So what I would do is I would I'm on Weedian House Patreon. And if you want to, my name is Theo Henderson. You go on Weedy Unhoused, and that's how I usually get money. I don't get a lot. I'm, I'm not living in a fat cat. I'm still out on the street. And the difficulty is, as you know, that uh, being unhoused or having a podcast, my, my podcast is not 
talking like the Dr. Phil or Dr. Drew, all those crazy. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's done by someone who knows what they're talking about instead of a bunch of idiots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's good. It's good. Y'all should hear that. Listen to it. It, it airs here every Thursday at 4. Check, check the SoundCloud. Hit the Patreon. Theo. Thank you, my brother. Thank you for all you do, my brother. And I want to say, Radio Justice, keep up the good work. And I, I look forward to hearing you guys again. I always retweet you. You guys always have some very nice, diverse things going on. Double R beats on the instrumental. <laughs> And one thing we didn't even get a chance to get into is Garcetti's wanton attempt at destroying public housing in Los Angeles. Not only has he pushed a 1980s shelter program that has been proven not to work in place of actual supportive housing, which was what we gave him all of that $1.2 billion of Triple H for. Garcetti also helped to bring us Douglas Guthrie, who used to be the head of Kimball Hill Developments, the company that drafted the plans for the privatization of public housing in Chicago, who is now the president of our housing authority here in Los Angeles and has already done the same hatchet job he did on Cabrini Green and Ida B. Wells projects on Pico Gardens and Jordan Downs. And has now set his sights on the Nickerson Gardens. Well, Mayor Garcetti stays in the Getty Mansion, which is publicly owned and therefore public housing. Him and his family get to stay there for free. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Uh, I think it's beautiful when you get to be able to have free housing. Some people do get free housing in this country. Yeah, you, you got to be the mayor. You got to be the mayor first. Well, no, you, you know, or the president. You know, well, you you have, the president too. Yeah. Right, right. Or both, both people who have attempted to destroy public housing. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and some private people have free housing too because their families practice building generational wealth through property and through owning land. Well, that's beautiful. Right. What we need to look out for going forward as we come out of this is a complete gutting of black wealth in Los Angeles. I mean, just talking to people like uh, Sister Lene, who you're going to have on from My Black Counts. Like, I've been making a lot of those phone calls all over South LA. Oh, wow. Once. Thank you. What's so that? because because we got to get that money in our communities. I don't think people they, they don't correlate, and that's what Lene is going to really explain that with the connection between U.S. Census and having funded programs in our community. Because just like Governor Cuomo was talking about, that New York gives more to the federal than the federal government gives them. But the U.S. Census has something to do that that count, you know, that count has something to do with getting. Oh, absolutely. So basically, yeah. and I and I and I'm sure she's going to break it down. In this interview. oh, she's break. She's going to break it all the way down. But along it's, with it's basically like two thousand bucks a person that we yes. get from everybody who fills out in public money. Of course, we have to go to war with these politicians to get them to shake any of that loose, as all right. y'all are seeing right now. When you still have sixty thousand people sitting on the streets in the middle of a pandemic. No, there, there's a lot of money out there um, because of, you know, that can, that's, that's available out there as a result of the United States Census. And our community comes short on that. And we can't come short anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, also my Black Council in association with their partners like LA Can, you know, like the Black Workers Center and uh, Coco and, a, a, you know, a bunch of other places just around town, just to name a couple of the places in L.A., you know, are coming up with, uh, are sending out to the people that opt in, you know, here's the information on where you can get something to eat. Here's where you can get the, here's where you can get the things that you need. So, you know, my Black Council is doing good stuff. Matter of fact, let's, let's hear from them. I am Angela Birdsong, conversation piece host on Radio Justice Los Angeles. And with me is Lene Norwood, creator of My Black Counts, who urges us to be counted in the U.S. Census to get political power and money for our communities. Lene Norwood, welcome to Radio Justice. Thank you. Thank you, Angela, for having me. 
Oh, thank you for being available, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And then speaking of the pandemic, so with the coronavirus, are we distracted and forgotten about the census or are we getting it done while everything is shut down? Great question, Angela. Um, traditionally, prior to a pandemic or a COVID outbreak, we already had a huge uh, challenge up ahead of us to ensure an accurate count of Black communities. Uh, traditionally, Black communities have been significantly undercounted. Specifically in the 2010 census, we were undercounted by 3.7 million people nationwide. And out of that 3.7 million, we undercounted a million Black babies. So we missed out on billions of dollars of resources um, and public funding for our communities, our schools, our highways and roads, our healthcare infrastructure, and almost everything that impacts our everyday life as we know it. So prior to COVID, it was already a challenge, which is why we by Black Count to make sure that we are reaching the hardest account Black individuals in the state of California. Uh, our Governor Gavin Newsom made an unprecedented investment of 187 million dollars to ensure that we were able to reach the hardest account communities in california and we were a beneficiary of that funding and we're able to develop this campaign my black counts to really be a call an anthem of celebration of the diversity of black communities in california um, and just acknowledging you know geographically there's differences nationality there's differences age and uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and education, we're all very different. Black is not monolithic. Um, so, but what we all are is we are united by the Black experience in America. Um, whether you are Nigerian, whether you are Haitian, whether you were born and raised in California, when you walk down the street, as we're seeing from what just happened with the young brother Ahmad, um, they don't act, stop and say, okay, wait, are you Nigerian? Because I want to know before I kill you unjustifiably. They see a black boy running down the street and they respond to that with hatred. Um, so we are all united by that portion of the experience as well as many other experiences that we share um, in the black diaspora of California. So. We had a challenge um, prior to COVID, and now with shelter in place orders, um, you know, a lot of sickness, a lot of families suffering loss, the economic impact of people losing jobs. I mean, we've had millions of people file for unemployment. It is even that much more challenging. Um, people are not focused on the census. That is not something that was top of mind before COVID. And surely COVID is making it even less of a priority. So we have a challenge ahead of us. Um, but it's important that the Black community understands that the census is attached to $115 billion a year for California for programs like unemployment, healthcare, hospitals, Schools, the things that we need to continue to thrive. So even though it is not a top of mind priority, it should most definitely be. It will shape what our communities look like and how they are resourced for the next 10 years. Yeah, so when we're talking about, so we're, we're connecting the dots between completing the U.S. Census and getting money for these different services and programs in our state, in our county, in our city, because if we don't, there's a possibility that we will run out of money for these services, or well, the services what will be limited. Great question. So it, it's basically the census determines, we have basically, <laughs> how can I explain this? And I'm trying to simplify it and make it into terms that everybody can understand. Um, so there's a big uh, word that you call apportionment, and that's not really directly connected to the census. That's what happens subsequently in redistricting, which we can talk about in a moment. But basically, each individual who takes the census is estimated to be between $1,000 and $2,000 per year 
and public investments attached to that person. So if you had a household of five people um, and we took the median of $1,500, we're talking about, you know, thousands of dollars per household that census funding will direct community resources in your district. So what happens is when we are undercounted, our districts are not resourced and funded appropriately to service everyone who lives in our communities. So when we are undercounted, we are underrepresented and we are unfunded. So when you see things, um, for example, um, the census is directly uh, connected to HUD housing and HUD funding. You see things like a five-year waiting list <laughs> to get Section 8. That is a direct impact of census data and the uh, federal allocation that has been um, mandated for that program that shows up directly here in California. In fact, California um, has been under-resourced as a whole traditionally. We are one of the few states that pays the federal government more taxes than we receive back. So we are actually losing money every year due to census undercounts. So it's drastically critical to everyone that we are all counted and represented so that our state, our programs, our resources are accurately funded. So as a black community and, you know, and encompassing everybody who has dark skin everybody like like you said you you gave the description where nobody's going to stop and ask you are you from the dominican republic are you from inglewood mm -hmm. <laughs> or are you from ethiopia but we look at you as a black person so right. so we're historically hard to count are so what about the homeless are, are they are, they, are I'm, I'm assuming they must be hard to count also Absolutely. And even the disparities that impact Black communities, they show up even in homeless enumeration or counting. For example, we know that in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, we have a houseless crisis where we see thousands of families displaced and, and without shelter. And 40% of those people are Black people. So, <laughs> I mean, it is extremely challenging to count the homeless populations, but we need an accurate count of them so that we have the resources to provide services so that they can transition off of the streets and off of skid rows. So yes, it is extremely hard to count the houseless population. Um, and you mentioned even uh, like the Ethiopian community and, and I mentioned the Nigerian and the Haitian community. California has one of the largest immigration populations in the country. Um, and it is very, very diverse, very diverse. There are multiple different nationalities represented um, from throughout the Black diaspora here in California. And there is, uh, the Trump administration tried to impose an immigration question to be included on the 2020 census. And we fought and we won that fight. And the Supreme Court sided with us and agreed that that was not necessary to include that, that the census is not a count of citizens, it's a count of residents. So, but that instilled fear into the immigrant community who is fearing retaliation, deportation, um, enforcement and action from ICE. Um, so prior to even that, there was a challenge with counting black immigrants and brown immigrants in California, and now even been exacerbated by the Trump administration uh, attempt to include the immigration question on the 20 census. So we got our hands full, <laughs> you know? Yes, you between do. Black immigrants, between the houseless communities, between the undercount of children of zero to five, it is especially hard to count black communities accurately, and COVID has made it even more challenging, but we have hope. So I want to get to that and talk to how um, people can support and how we can get involved. But we got our hands, our work cut out for us. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, you know, where you were talking about the, the immigration status, I, I just want to make sure that people know that our personal information is not shared from the U.S. Census. Right. So Absolutely. there are no, right, it's, it's kept confidential from federal agencies, FBI, welfare, IRS. So we, we know that certain 
um, public assistance programs, they always want to know how many people are in your household. And, and you, you know, you may not want to tell them that because if it's going to affect the amount of uh, monies that's coming to your household, but for the U.S. Census, it's a safe place right. for you to let people know so that we can get the appropriate funding for, for right. our, our communities. Um, that's right. Yes, census data cannot be shared. It is strictly confidential. It is actually prohibited by law. Um, a law called Title 13, which is a federal law, so that applies to all states, all regions, that census um, employees, staff, departments cannot share your information with your landlord, your probation officer, any government agency. Basically, the census is a count. We just want to know how many people live in district X, Y, and Z, and then there is funding and investment attached to that count. It is your data that we are interested in in terms of a, a quantitative data, not information on like the names of, I mean, who lives in your house, what services y'all are getting, et cetera, et cetera. It's, that, that is not information that will be used against you. Right. And and it's and how long does it take to, to complete the U.S. Census? I, I didn't do the census for my household. My sister did. I, I live with, with one of my sisters. So okay. she completed it for our household. How long does it take to take to, to, to take the census? Great question. This is actually the first year that the twenty the census is available online. Um, so I have seen people, I mean, I took my census, it took me less than five minutes. I have heard nothing north of 10 minutes of taking the census. So in less than 10 minutes, it's nine questions, um, very straightforward. What's your name? What's your telephone number? What's your address? How many people live with you? What's your ethnicity? Are there any other additional people you need to count in your home? What's your telephone number? And what's your race? I mean, that's it. It takes less than 10 minutes. It's something you can do online. You can even do it online on a mobile device. It doesn't have to be a desktop computer. It's mobile friendly. And it's something that it's, it's the best five minutes that you could spend in the day and time we're in right now. <laughs> Right, right, exactly, because when, when things for sure, we have plenty of, of time. Uh, now, what if you don't have internet access and you don't have a, a laptop or you maybe don't even have, have a smartphone? How, how can you take the census? Great question. So there's also, uh, you can take the census by phone. There is a phone line that is actually available in 12 different languages, if I'm correct. Wow. Um, and for those that are hearing impaired, there's um, assistance for those who are hearing impaired as well. But you can take your census on the phone and a census bureau representative will support you with that. Also, if you have not responded to your census, you should have received a paper form in the mail by now. Um, so if you received your census by mail at your home, go ahead and fill that out. The prepaid postage envelope is already taken care of. Fill that out, drop it in the mail and return it. And it's not too late because we know um, that because someone had asked me, is it too late to do the census or? Absolutely not. Mm -mm. Well, what are right the new now, deadlines? The, the census will not close until October 31st. And even that right now is up for discussion. So we have plenty of time, but this is one thing we don't want to wait on. <laughs> so if you are listening right now and you haven't taken your census, I need you to go to myblackcounts.org right now. And as you're listening to this interview, take your census. I guarantee you'll be done before we finish talking. <laughs> <laughs> that, I like that. that that's, that's, that's a good, a good challenge and a good um, um, play along with us and, and yeah. do, and do your, your census while you're listening to Conversation Peace on Radio Justice Los Angeles with Lene Norwood, creator of My Black Counts. So why did you create My Black Counts? I, I mean, I think we can figure out why, but how <laughs> is My Black Counts helping increase the participation in the U.S. Census? What, what are you guys doing? Well, great question. I mean, really, when we were developing the idea of what My Black Counts could be, we wanted to make sure that it was inclusive of all the diversity of Black community. In addition to that, we didn't want it to be something that was like, 
you know, dark or depressing to talk about all the things that haven't happened for us. We wanted to spread hope and, and, and spread inspiration and show the Black community the possibilities, the possibilities of what can happen for us when we unite with action. So My Black Counts was intended to be an anthem, right? This is the anthem that in, unites us all. We honor and celebrate the unique individuality and humanity of all Black people. So regardless of what walk of life you come from, whether you're immigrant or you were native born here in America, if you are cisgender, non-binary, non-conforming, transgender, um, we want you to be represented in our, in our community. Um, children, millenniums, baby boomers, elders, all faiths, Christian, Muslim, atheists, all backgrounds, rich, poor, <laughs> you name it. Uh, the census impacts us all, for, and, and not only for the next 10 years, but for generations, what happens now is going to set us on a trajectory that will not be able to be course corrected in the next census. Um, so it's mindful that people understand the generational impact of this census, of what it's going to have. It stretches even beyond 10 years. But think about where your children are going to be in 10 years, right? Most of our children, if we have little ones, will be in high school by then. So it's very important that we make the time right now to participate in the census so we set them up for success um, as they're developing into uh, teenagers and adults. But outside of that, too, other things that we're doing um, to make sure that we reach the Black community prior to COVID, we hosted a plethora of community events. We actually are a coalition of certified Black-led and Black-serving organizations throughout the state of California um, and a part of the California Black Census and Redistricting Hub. Our, or our coalition is at the forefront of racial justice and social justice issues. And, uh, and they are also direct service providers to Black communities already entrenched, embedded into the communities that we reach out to. So they are the trusted messengers. They are the people on the front line of all the issues that impact our communities every day, even beyond census. Um, so I, I love our coalition and the work that we've been doing prior to COVID. We were knocking doors by tens of thousands of doors, uh, phone banking, holding community events all throughout the state. Um, since the COVID pandemic, we've had to pivot and focus our efforts to be more on virtual phone banking to comply and adhere to the shelter uh, so, uh, physical distancing orders that we receive from our governor. So we're engaging now in virtual phone banking, where it's something that, you know, all of our coalition team leads have recruited teams in their organization, and we're calling thousands of people every single day telling them, hey, the census is live, take your census. In addition to that, me and my team, we oversee our digital um, strategy where we are have pushed out of ads, hundreds of ads um, in every type of online platform you can think of to make sure that people know about My Black Counts, know about the census, and know that it's live and it's something that's important. So through social media, through various online websites, through phone banking, and then now um, we're rolling into, you know, helping to empower other community members to join us and help us with this work. And I'll talk about that because I have a, a call to action for everyone who's listening, but we really have to get creative now because the traditional methods are not available to us. But we know that word of mouth has always been the vehicle of information in the black community. Nothing has changed in 2020 with that. That is still the best way to make sure that we get the word. So it's really up to everybody who's listening it's up to all of us to make sure that we're all counted. Good stuff. Now, you, you touched upon who gets counted in your household. Now, what about folks who move in and out your house? Uh, where, like, like, for instance, okay, so for with, with my household, um, my, we, we live in the family house. My mom resides in Savannah, Georgia for the majority of the year. My sister and I live here. My sister's son and his wife um, are here sometimes, but they uh, move to another 
um, location temporarily while they're both are in school and, and, and that should be ending in July. Who's counted in the house? Great question. And that's a tricky one, right? Because people are like, where do I get counted at? So let me be clear. First of all, the census is a count of everyone living in your home. It's blood relation, relative, kinfolk. That is not exclusive to the census. So if you have a friend, a roommate, um, you know, a foster child, anybody who is living in your home, they should be counted. And where should they be counted is where they live most of the time. So when you are taking your census, count everyone who at that moment that you're taking your census, who lives with you most of the time. So if you had to think about a, a ratio, 50% plus one, right? Um, for those folks who have already taken the census, they were instructed to take it whoever was living in your home as of April 1st. So people who have already taken the census, their direction was everyone living in your home as of April 1st, that's where you count votes. Now for folks who still have taken the census, deadline has been extended. If you were taking the census right now today, think about everybody who lives in your home most of the time, that is who should be counted on your census. Okay, so and so with with uh, with my situation, so my sister already did the census, but my nephew and his wife they live with us most of the time. How is there a way to correct it, or should they just go on and do their own census? Uh, great question. Yes, you can actually go back on. You can take the census again and just count those individuals, and the census bureau will append uh, those to your um, household count um, in the back end. So, yes. Oh, but wow. You need to update the census. If there were people that you didn't count because you're hearing new information now, go back on your census, plug in your address, and count those people as well. Right, or the, or or a baby was born <laughs> after you've right. taken it, right? <laughs> well, so the guidance on newborns is as of April first. So, okay. if you had a baby that was born on or before April first, then you should have counted them on the twenty twenty census. If they have been born um, between now and April first, I would recommend. I mean, we don't have official guidance from the Census Bureau on this yet. I would recommend to count them, <laughs> but we don't have official guidance on that yet. Right, because we want we don't want to be one million black babies short this year for for these for for this census. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Wow, one million babies not counted. Ooh we. Um, think about that. That's fifteen thousand dollars times. That's fifteen million. No, fifteen billion dollars. That was under resource to children wow that's crazy that is that is crazy thank you for putting a number on on that because you know because because right now with with us with us being in this pandemic we're you know we're, we're paying closer attention to to our government and 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 talking about unemployment programs the uh you know how much unemployment you, you, you're, you're eligible for per week. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and talking about, uh, if you, you've been laid off, so now you have to go and maybe even change your medical coverage because you can't afford the Cobra payments that, right. that, that that's going on. So it's, it's, it's this type of underfunding that needs to stop so that we can make sure that everybody is, is getting what they're supposed to get in the state of California. That's right. That's right. right. And, and, and just across the nation too, because of course, you know, you're due. So, okay. So my black counts, are you just focused on California or are you guys nationwide? We are explicitly focused on California, but we welcome anyone from around the country. If, I mean, we have supporters in Atlanta in Connecticut. I mean, we've had so much outpouring support outside of the state. It kind of caught us off guard. We weren't planning for that or aiming for that, but the content and the information was so relevant, timely, and helpful that we've seen other states modeling 
and sharing our content and information. So our primary focus is California, but hey, the more the merrier because we have Black folks throughout the whole United States and we definitely want to be a resource and a support for anybody in, in, in America. So, hey. Right, right. <laughs> one thing we didn't touch on that, mm-hmm. that I do want to just briefly um, touch on it, that the census impacts the census also impacts Black political power. People do not realize that our congressional, the number of congressional members that we get in our state is also determined by the census. In addition to that, how many electoral college votes we get in presidential elections, wink, wink, we have one coming up in November, is also determined by census counts. So not only does the census impact our public funding and resources, it also impacts our political representation and voice. And we know that we, there have been some key legislators that have been African-American from California that have gone to bat and held this administration to the fire um, for us. We need to make sure that we protect their seat and their ability to advocate for us by making sure that we don't lose any representation politically, especially in a time like this. Yeah, we cannot afford to lose any representation, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So everybody get out and and fill out your census. You said you had a call to action for us. Well, what is your call to action and what's next after the census? Great question. So my call to action, if you are listening right now and anything in here appealed to you, or motivated you to help join us and spread the word. I want you to take out your phone right now, take out your cell phone if you can, and I want you to text the word COUNT, C-O-U-N-T. So open up a new text message, and the telephone number you are gonna be texting is 97779, and you are gonna text that number, the word COUNT. And then you will be subscribed and you will receive periodic, we do not spam, we will not blow your phone up, I promise, but you will receive periodic messages and information from My Black Count and ways that you can get involved to help us spread the word. And you're joining the movement. Um, also, if you're not a text person, that's not really a thing, visit myblackcount.org and sign up on the form that's in our website. And we will be in touch with you on ways that you can join us and support us in this movement to make sure that our Black communities throughout California are accurately counted. So once again, text the word COUNT to 9779 or visit myblackcount.org. Wonderful, wonderful. What's next after the census are you guys involved with the with getting people to register to vote and and for the election or or what's going on well there's been such an overwhelmingly positive response to our campaign we are still navigating through that so one thing that is next that i can officially announce is redistricting which is impacted by the census and that is federal apportionment and line drawing and map drawing. So if you guys have ever heard of the word gerrymandering, our undercount in the census leads to the ability for people with an agenda that is anti-communities of color to gerrymander our communities and dilute our political voice and vote. So I, I know you guys have all like, why is that piece of the district not in this voting block? Or, or why, why is that my Congress member, even though I, they don't even live close to me? That is a decision, those are decisions that are made through the redistricting process. And so once we are done with the census, we will be focused on redistricting to make sure that we have equitable maps and districts in the state of California that represent the interests of the Black community. So excited about that work. Oh, wow. Yes. Very good stuff. And, and then also you said that the deadline is October 31st and it may even extend further. So you guys are going to be busy during the election season still with the U.S. Census. Um, yes. And again, our coalition, they will definitely be on the front lines of the November election. Some of them are already starting to make that pivot um, and preparing for what comes after census. So we're excited to make sure that we're using our platform 
to continue to empower and engage the black community. Great, great, great. Well, you guys, you guys heard the call to action. Text on your phones, 97779, the word count, and, and do what you can to support this movement so that we are not undercounted, underfunded, and that we still have our political power and, have, and are properly represented um, in the federal government. So make sure you visit MyBlackCounts dot org my black counts dot org for more information and hopefully by now you guys already finished your census if you were following us at the top yes. of the show <laughs> yes <laughs> Lene Norwood thank you so much for for joining me today and and letting us know the importance of this U.S. census and thank you so much Angelo for having me and thank you for your your show, I mean, it's so needed in our community. We have to continue to make sure that we are the messengers to our people and making sure that they're getting the accurate information that they need. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And you guys, make sure you follow her show and listen in on the podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Angela Birdsong reporting for Radio Justice Los Angeles at radiojustice.org. And now your Radio Justice Community Calendar. Free COVID-19 testing is available to all Los Angeles County residents, whether or not you are experiencing COVID-19 symptoms. Same or next day testing priority is still given to people with symptoms. Testing is by appointment only. Go to coronavirus.lacity.org forward slash testing for details. Join Stop LAPD Spying Coalition community meeting over Zoom for part eight webinar series on Tuesday, May 12th at 6 p.m. Go to stoplapdspying.org or go to Facebook or for Zoom details as they cover the police state and culture of resistance in the time of COVID. Join PRC and expert guests for a trauma and awareness series. The men's edition, Are You Safe at Home? Real talk from men about intimate partner violence and community violence. Thursday, May 14th, 1.30 to 3 p.m. on Zoom. Email for details info at prc123.org. NLG LA Housing Committee hosts Eviction Defense 101 every Sunday in May from 10.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. supporting the tenants' rights movement and defend rights strikers. RSVP and more info go to NLG LA.org. Join Impu Kamut for weekly Casa Tai Chi sessions on Zoom Tuesdays and Thursdays. For more information, call 213-447-7700. And Impu is going to be a guest on Conversation Peace this week, Adam. Right on. It's about time. I mean, we've been pumping the show for the last year. <laughs> more than that, more than that, even on Liberated Sisters calendar at times. Well, yeah. if you want your event to be placed on the Radio Justice Community calendar, email us at calendar at radiojustice.org. Well, thank you for that interview, Ann. Great work and, and really important stuff for people to know, especially that the census has been extended. Especially extended to October 31st. Right so right now, it may, it may get extended further, but it only takes nine minutes to take it. That's and that's on the high end. Nine minutes to take it. It's and I think it's nine. It's it's very short, very short, and you can revisit it if you need to. Very easy to go. Myblackcounts.org, and you can take the census straight from her website. What do we got up next, Ange? Oh, we have our. 
amigo Rones Reyes, who interviews Cookie Lego from Project for Vida in Puerto Rico. What's happening? Greetings from Dita Kamati Studios at Radio Justice LA. This is Lawrence Reyes, and you are tuned in to Radio Justice. Today, we have uh, Cookie Lago, a Boricua raised in Jamaica Plains, Massachusetts. She was inspired by her father to stand up for Boricua rights at a young age and started to give back at the age of 14 through working as a peer leader with Sociedad Latina. Where was that at, in Massachusetts? That was in Mission Hill, Boston, yes. Mission Hill, Boston. In 2016, while briefly living in Los Angeles, Cookie co-founded the community action group called Puerto Ricans in Action. During post-Hurricane Maria, Cookie was back in Puerto Rico, living and working. In 2019, she founded Project for Vida, which means Project for Life, to create an enhanced emergency plan for Luquillo, Puerto Rico, which is um, it's in the Northeast on the island of Puerto Rico. The program includes preparing the community to be self-sustainable and resilient before, during, and after every natural disaster. So we have hurricanes on a regular basis in Puerto Rico. And lately, we've been hit by earthquakes, which hasn't happened since the 1800s. So, yes. yeah, right? So Cookie is a is a good friend of mine. And um, she, when she lived in Los Angeles, we, uh, we connected to Puerto Ricans in action. Yes, Cookie, we did. Cookie, you want to tell us about, first tell us about Mind Matters, the series that you did on, on Facebook Live? And what was that about? Well, Mind Matters series um, actually is still going on. Our last, uh, we, we close it next Saturday. Oh, okay. But uh, Mind Matters series was supposed to be, actually supposed to be uh, our first event um, in person. It was supposed to be a one-day workshop you know, after the earthquakes and after coming here, um, after Maria and, and doing, you know, relief work, um, I noticed that one of the things that, that was, was really called for and also overlooked and put in the back burner was uh, mental health. So I wanted to do something um, that would that would cover that for people. And then uh, COVID-19 happened and the lockdown happened and and it came down to whether I was going to cancel the events or do it differently. Um, I decided to do it differently and expand it and, and uh, reach, try to reach more people that, that right now, you know, have different types of mental health uh, issues going on. So the... What are some of those issues, Cookie? If you could... Um expand on what the people are experiencing right now when it comes to uh, living with a mental health challenge? Well, I'm, I'm sure you know that Puerto Rico lacks mental health uh, it, services, men right. mental health resources. So, right. you know, I could go back to Maria. People still have PTSD mm -hmm. uh, since Maria. You know, I, I know, I know somebody that when it rains, he runs back in the house because he still has that, that PTSD from Maria. Um, you know, I, the people that are still homeless, you know, they lost their houses uh, after 30 years and, and 40 years and paying their house off. Right now, they don't have a house. They don't have a house to be safe in uh, during this uh, pandemic. So your goal uh, is realistic. It looks like it's a measure. And it's attainable, right, in regards yes. to being able to uh, train people to m mutually aid each other, you know, and, and you know, in life. Yes. Because um, we know Puerto Rico being a colony, uh, things are very slow there. And, yes. um, and there's a lot of resources that are colonized, right, and they're not accessible to the people. So... From the last time I was there in August of last year, uh, I went to Casa de Pueblo and Carolina and all the mutual aid uh, cooperatives, right? Uh, are you working with them as well? I uh, know. See, we're, we're for like this is uh, we're fairly new, so we're just um, right now we're just you know working on on getting off the ground and stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, and also training. 
Okay. Because we do, we do, uh, we do use the. Uh, I work with a certain instructor, and she's also a veteran, um, and she's also a community leader in Luquillo, and you know we work together, and um, she trains us. We train other people. So, uh, so right now we're working on that and. Uh, another thing that we wanted to do as well is we want to create a clean and safe water map so people will know where, you know, where they can find clean water, clean and safe water after an emergency. So, and that's something that you already have experience at, having worked with Puerto Rican International and providing yes. clean water during the uh, right post Hurricane Maria, right? So you have some experience in that. Um, yes. And I'm sure you're going to tap into that experience and also, I would think you will continue to work with Puerto Ricans in action in regards to that, right? Oh, of course. We, I'm, I'm Puerto Ricans in action for I know, life. You I know, know, man. I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, of course. And they still, they work with me too. I mean, they work with me and they, they work with me at the, for the Mind Matter series, you know. We, uh, we also worked together after the earthquakes when they came out here. Um, we did some relief work together out here. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, and they're, they're always my partners, man. They're, yeah. This, that's a bond that, you know, nobody can, can break, nothing can break, so. There you go. They're good people. So yeah. I, I want to turn to the last question, Cookie. Do you want to add anything else in regards to pro, uh, Project for Vida? Uh, do you have uh, contact information or website? Uh, yes, uh, Facebook, Project for Vida, uh, Project for Life, IG, P4V, uh, PR. And uh, yeah, and okay. our email is our email is projectforvida at gmail .com. Dynamite. Um, and you, I, I think I, uh, um, I think this might be a fair question, but it might be difficult, right? Because, um, what is your political work in Puerto Rico in this time of the COVID nineteen pandemic? And I know you're doing the project for Vida. You're doing my matters. What else? Um, um, is your political position or your political work. I know that, you know, we got Ricardo, Ricky, Kikinuncia, we got him out, uh, but we also, we left with Wanda, who isn't any better, right? Not, not at all. I mean, um, as far as that, uh, we do, we are, we have been uh, holding accountable all the mistakes that the mayor has been doing. Um, but as far as you know the political i'm i'm gonna there was something that uh rafael cancer miranda's son said at his funeral he said that um we all have our part in this right mm -hmm. whether it's singing whether it's art whether it's protesting whether it's you know activism whether it's you know, going into the, going into politics yourself. Um, you know, I feel that, that, that this project is, is my political work. Um, you know, because I'm, I want to empower the community so that, you know, the same doesn't happen every time, every time, every time. Cause you know, every time uh, one goes, another one comes and it's the same thing. We're, we're in the same cycle and, you know, with, with a, with a trained community, we don't need yeah. to be in that cycle. That's right. That's right, Cookie. You're right about that. We definitely don't need to be in that cycle. That's how I can best answer that question. That's a good answer. You know, every act of selflessness, right, is a revolutionary act, especially when we act in the best interest of the people. And I know you are acting in the best interest of the people with the work that you're doing. So really appreciate that. All right, Sister Cookie. I don't want no That's going to do it for us tonight on the Radio Justice Community News. We want to thank all of our guests. Yes, we want to thank Cookie Lago from Project for Vida in Puerto Rico, Renee Norwood from My Black Counts, Theo Henderson from We Unhoused, the From Services Not Sweeps Coalition. And of course, we also want to thank our guest interviewer and host of From Decolonization to Liberation which airs here on Radio Justice, Fridays at 5 p.m. 
Lawrence Frey. Well, if there's something that you'd like for us to know here on Radio Justice Community News Weekly, just send us an email at PC at radiojustice.org. Until next time, family. All power to all oppressed people. And peace to you if you're willing to fight for it.